0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this evening, thank you for being with us. If you will be opening your Bible to Psalm 23. It's not every time that the scripture reading is sung before uh, the, the sermon, but that's pretty neat. That's our text for tonight. Psalm 23 in the Bible that's in your pew there. It'll be about page 491 if you want to be following along there. You know, thinking back about last Sunday evening and the tremendous report that our young men presented to us in the song service and the prayers as they talked about the great work that was done in Marlington, West Virginia during the VBS mission trip there, we appreciate so much our young people not just because of the report, but because also, of course, of the great work that was done, that was reported on. The young men did an excellent job presenting it, and all of our young ladies and young men uh, that went on that trip did a tremendous job, and we appreciate all that they have done and continue to do to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we think about school getting back underway, and we think about that back-to-school emphasis, many of the points tonight will be in in light of that, of, of the opportunities that not just our young people, but all of us have as we think about this. How important is it to you to be secure, to be safe? You know, I married a wonderful young lady that was a real scaredy cat. The first 10 years of our marriage, she was scared of any and everything that made a noise at night. And she just can't do horror movies because she won't sleep for weeks. And she gets me up over and over in the night after those. And we have some fine members here that several years ago actually tricked us into going to a horror movie because they thought it would be funny and uh and we went into this movie that was said hey this is going to be a great thriller and we get into it and as it opens up the first scene I'm thinking oh boy this is going to be a long month I'm going to be up a lot this month in the middle of the night and and Many of you would be familiar with, with the movie, not that I'm recommending it, but it's about the little girl that, that her her adoptive parents don't like her and they want to kill her and so they put her in a well and she looks up at the top of the well and all she can see is the light around the, the top of the well and so she dies seeing the ring and and then, but some way she's left this movie behind that if people watch the movie, that way her story can live on, but if you watch the movie, you only have seven days to show that video to somebody else or you die. And every time somebody watches it, they get a phone call very shortly afterwards. And when the phone rings, the person picks it up that's just watched the video and it simply says seven days. And that means you have seven days to show that movie to somebody else or you'll die and so now we're on the way home, it's late at night, we go to bed, and I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be tough. And after just the right time of being in bed, thinking we're going to make it, we're going to go to sleep, the phone rings. <laughs> wow. She sits straight up in bed, and the phone's on her side. She picks up the phone. Seven days. <laughs> Those same kind friends just wouldn't let up. And... Uh, you know, the, the first several years of our marriage, I, I, would, I would wake up many times with the shaking of, go check that out. What? There's a noise. Go check it out. Oh, it's okay. I'm not going to let you sleep till you check that out. And so I would start through the house knowing that would be the only way to get any more rest. And she'd be right behind me because she's too afraid to stay in the bedroom by herself. And we go all the way through the house and we get all the way to the other end of the house. And I say, see, everything's all right. Honest truth. Then she would say, now check the closets. And we go back through the house and we check the closets. You know, if you really are afraid, it's no laughing matter. I remember one time, four years old, getting lost with some of my foster brothers and sisters out in the woods. And we were lost for uh, not just 10 minutes. It seemed like all day. It was probably more like an hour. But even at just four years old, I still remember that feeling of fear. And I also remember that feeling when we finally came back up through the woods and we saw our own house. And I remember that feeling of security. Everything's going to be okay. I want to ask you something tonight much more serious. Why is it that the 23rd Psalm is the most popular passage in all of the Old Testament and arguably maybe even the New Testament? Why is it read at more bedsides and gravesides than any other passage that's ever been written? What is it about the 23rd Psalm that comforts us? What is it about this Psalm that that comes walking into our life, and if we truly believe it, and if we truly live by it, we feel secure? And it's more than a feeling. We are secure. Tonight. Tonight. There's much in this psalm that we literally could do a series about it. But tonight, I want us to just kind of skim off of the top of a few things to say, what is it that makes this passage so, so very comforting? I think about that first line where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that a beautiful thought that as long as the Lord is our shepherd, anything that really matters, we're not wanting in that. We're not lacking in that. You know, I think about our young people and the way God designed us and created us is is to go through adolescence. And so we say, well, what's the purpose of adolescence? It's not just growing up. If you want to be specific, the years of adolescence is for youth to find who they are. That's why let's just make up a scenario. That's why maybe a a sixth grader or seventh grader says, oh, I want to try playing a musical instrument. And maybe in eighth grade, they say, I I didn't like that. I, I want to play basketball. And maybe by ninth grade they're saying, you know, I'm thinking maybe I want to be more of an honor student and, and, and I want to try to be in a beta club. Or maybe by ninth or tenth grade they're saying, you know, I found this club that I really enjoy what they do and, and I want to be the president of the club my junior year. And you say, wait a minute, why is this child kind of bouncing around throughout this? It's the way God designed adolescence. It's where you are in search of your identity. Who is it that God made you to be? and when youth go through adolescence in a healthy way they come out at the end of their teens or at the beginning of their 20s and they have some form of idea of this is the gift that God has given me remember first peter the 4th chapter and verse 10 God's given everyone a gift that includes our teenagers and so a part of those years is is to find that gift But there's also something very important that's a part of those years. And that is, hopefully, for those that go through this in a healthy fashion, I keep pointing to our youth, but the truth is there's a lot of adults that haven't yet gone through adolescence. And a part of the healthy process of going through adolescence is to say, you know what, God made me and God didn't make any mistakes. And if God is cool with the way he made me, I definitely like the way God has made me. You know, it wasn't that long ago we looked at two texts. But for this point tonight, let's quickly look back at those two texts. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the first chapter. In Romans, the first chapter, these, this is the one word that, that is only used twice in the New Testament. And both times, he's talking about creating us. And so tonight, because we, we talked about this not that many weeks ago, I'm, I'm not going to linger long on these passages, or at least I hope I'm not. Look at Romans, the first chapter, and look at verse 20. Romans 1 and 20, in the Bible that's in your pew there, it's page 999, 999. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood, here it is, by the things that are made, even His eternal power and His Godhead, so that we are without excuse. He says, look at the things that are made. The, The original Greek word here is the idea of look at the things that God fabricated. And he says, well, what would that be? Look at the earth, look at the solar system, look at you. God made you, and God making you proves his eternal power. We sometimes hear the little cliche, God didn't make any junk. But it is true, it is serious. God did not make you and then say, oops, I made a mistake. I meant to make them taller, I meant to make them shorter. If God loves the height you are, I'm begging our young people, don't be insecure. Be secure with the fact that God loves who he made. And now the question is, do you love who he made? God, he, he made you the, the speed. You say, oh, I wish I was faster. I wish I was more athletic. I wish I was more musically inclined. I wish I was more artistic inclined. I wish I had a higher IQ. I wish I could memorize easier. You know, all of us could create Probably a pretty good list of things that if if we were just making robots and, and and giving ourselves those kind of attributes that we would choose, I'm sure all of us would probably choose some of those things to change. But friends, that's when our identity becomes very sick, very unhealthy. Is when we start living every day based upon, I wish I were different. Now, yes, first. Corinthians, the 6th chapter and verse 19 teaches that our body is the temple of God. And for that reason, we need to take care of the body that God has given us. We do not need to, to misuse it or abuse it in any way. And along with that, we also need to appreciate it. We need to be comfortable in the skin that God has made us let me tell you what's real easy to do in adolescent years and it's real easy to do also in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s and your 60s. And that's to go through life with that I'm okay, right? It's where you go up to your friends at school and and you've got something new on and the first thing you do is say, hey, you you like this shirt? And you know if you're going to wear it another time? Whether or not they say they like it. Don't go through life Living your life based on going up to everybody saying, am I okay? Oh, we get a little bit older and we don't walk up and just bluntly ask, am I okay? But that's what we do. Which car are you going to drive? Oh, are you okay if I drive this car? Are you okay if I live in this neighborhood? Or are you okay if I wear this style of clothes or would you rather me wear this style of clothes? Would you like for me to talk like this or would you like for me to talk like that? And I'm begging you, young people, be the person God has made you to be and don't go through your life constantly seeing which way the wind blows and constantly saying, I'm insecure with who I am and I would like to feel safe right now and if you would just reaffirm that you like me, I now feel safe. Because you know why? That won't work. Because next week they won't like you. Trends change. Styles change. Preferences change. You know what matters? The only thing that matters is, does God like me? Does God like who I am? And then this takes us to our next one. Does God like who I can become? And have I become that person? Look with you, if you will, to Ephesians, the second chapter. Remember, this is the second time that this is used. This word is used. This is where the Lord wants to make us again. He wants to create us again. Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship. Now think about this, now he's talking spiritually, now he's not talking about physically, now he's saying we can be Jesus Christ's workmanship, now to put this in context, he's already talked about for the first nine verses of us changing our life, we've moved from that sinful individual, we've been forgiven, we've started a new life now with Jesus Christ, and so now he's describing this new life, and he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, we are his fabrication, notice this, created in Christ Jesus, now how do we get into Christ? Galatians 3 and 27, we are immersed, we are baptized into Christ. So we become a new creation, a new workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so now the the big question becomes this. What are you as young people, what are all of us supposed to accomplish during the adolescent years? We're supposed to figure out who did God design us to be? What gifts and abilities did God give me? What opportunities did God give me? What level of health did God give me? What opportunities did God give me? And notice this. And I want to make sure that I'm a faithful Christian in all of that. So then we ask the question. Remember, adolescence lesson says identity. Who are you? Who are you? The answer that we all want to be able to give is this. I'm a faithful child of God. Let me make up a scenario that is not very pretty. Let's say that that there's a star baseball player in high school and you ask him, hey, who are you? He says, ah, I'm the big left-handed pitcher on the baseball team. No, no, who are you? Well, I'm the 6'4 kid. I'm a senior. No, who are you? Well, I'm the son of Mr. and Miss. No, who are you? Because you had a car accident. And because of the injuries, you'll never walk again. So you're not now really 6'4 anymore. And you'll never throw the ball again. And your mom and dad died in that car accident. Who are you? Who are you? It doesn't matter what happens in life. You want to always be able to say, I'm a child of God created in His image. And today if I have my health, I'm a child of God that's using my health for His glory. And if God allows me to throw the ball, I'm going to be a child of God that throws the ball to His glory. And if God gives me the intellectual ability to be an honored student, I want to be a child of God that uses my intellect to His glory. And if God allows me to to be able to have some kind of artistic ability that, that maybe is magnificent and even rare, I want to be that person to God's glory. Friends, Life is all about transitions. It's all about changes. Nothing is is the same or static on this earth. We are on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. And things are constantly changing except this. Let it always be that every step along the way, who are you? I'm a child of God. Right now in your teens, who are you? I'm a child of God. In college, who are you? I'm a child of God. As a young married person, who are you? I'm a child of God. As as a mother or father, who are you? I'm a child of God. And progressing in your career, who are you? I'm a child of God. Let that always be, notice this, your identity. That's who you are. And anything that God gives you the opportunity to do beyond that, that's not really who you are. It's what God gives you the opportunity to do. Always be. The child of God. Now let's bring all this back around to that first phrase. Think about this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not saying this group right here. But I'm saying if we took the American landscape of the kids your age, many of them are insecure. They are insecure. They don't know who they are. And they walk through the hall so afraid that somebody's going to laugh at what they have on. They're so afraid that if they sit in the wrong seat or they say the wrong thing in class, that somebody's going to laugh. And think about it. Why are they afraid? Because they're insecure. They literally don't know who they are. They're walking around all day begging somebody to confirm that they're somebody. And young people, I'm begging you tonight to believe in an almighty God that didn't make any mistakes. He made you who you are. And relax. And enjoy it. And don't look to other people To define who you are, look to God to define who you are. And then, if other people want to go along with that, great. And if other people want to laugh at it, that's all right, too. You know why? You can't change me. I know who I am, I know who my Father is. And that's all that matters. Notice another beautiful point of security. The great shepherd himself, David, writes about the chief shepherd and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Knows this, he restores my soul. What's comforting about this passage? Isn't it comforting to know that we can be saved? I'm not talking about, isn't it comforting to think that maybe you could be saved? I heard about a church marquee, and I I doubt it's true, but but it was posted outside of a church one time and it said, Hey, are you tired of worrying about your salvation? Come and join us and worry with us about it. You know, sometimes that's kind of the feeling you get from talking with Christians is they seem more worried about their salvation than people out in the world. It's kind of like, am I saved or not? I don't know. I want to tell you something. If I'm going to put my head on the pillow tonight, if I'm going to walk out these back doors tonight, and I don't know whether or not I'm saved, I'm insecure. I don't have any comfort in that thought. I have no comfort in the thought of thinking, driving home tonight, not knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. There's no comfort in putting your head on the pillow tonight and not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. Think about the psalmist again. What did he say? He, I think, restored my soul. He very clearly says, why is this a passage of comfort? It's a passage of comfort because he clearly says, he restores my soul. Now think who's writing this. And there's some debate about when was this written. Was this written when he was a young man or when he was older? And there's a lot of argument that he wrote this when he was an older man. And if, in fact, he was an older man, you remember what happened during David's life. Here's a man that, he was responsible for having a man killed. He was, he committed adultery. And and there was such a a hideous sin. that the Lord said, I'm never going to let the sword leave your family. Friends, he committed terrible, terrible sins. But yet he's able to write a passage and say, you know what? I have a lot of comfort in my life right now. Why, David? Have you never done anything wrong? Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I've done a lot wrong. Well, David, why do you have comfort? I have comfort in the fact that my God restores the dead to life. Look with me, if you will, to Psalm 51. You probably know this passage well, but you're just a few pages away from it in your Bible. You remember, this is the psalm that we believe that David wrote after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba, after he had her husband uh, killed in war. And, And think about the joy that he experienced as he writes Like in verse 10, in in the 51st chapter, and we're especially going to verse 12, but notice as we pick up the beginning of this paragraph, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, Paul's right there. Are, Are we talking about a man here that knows this great comfort? No, we're hearing a man right here that is making a plea. He is crying out, God, I'm insecure in who I am right now because I know I'm not with you. I know that my sins have separated me from you. I know I haven't lived from you. Lord, restore this, create in me. And notice verse 12 as he says, restore to me what? The joy. David, what do you want? I just want to have that joy again where where I can go about my day and I can look at the person in the mirror and I can be happy Because of my God, He is one that restores. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He restores my soul. That's why the 23rd Psalm is such an awesome, awesome passage. But as we close tonight, I'd like for you to go with me deeper in the 23rd Psalm, and I'd like for you to notice two things. One out of verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice this. I will fear no evil. You know, there's a lot of comfort whenever we're not afraid. And that's what he's referring to here. And, And the truth is, all of us would admit, wouldn't we, that that's one reason why this passage is so comforting. To think about having a life where we say, you know what, I'm not afraid to die. Let that sink in. To have a life where you can say wholeheartedly, I'm not afraid to die. Do I want to leave my family on earth right now? Well, I may have some things that I want to do to to serve and to reach others. You know, Paul was in that straight betwixt too. He had a desire to go ahead and die, but because he knew he was going to be with with Jesus, but then he also wanted to stay because he knew that that would be a benefit to those around him and his furtherance of the gospel. Isn't it wonderful to have a peace that passes understanding that says, all right, if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? The Lord's with us. And He steps with us every step until we take our last breath. And He steps with us right into eternity. That's a beautiful thought. And and notice He doesn't take the enemies out of our life. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. And we read in the New Testament, we read through the rest of the Old Testament, do we ever see God going in and scooping up all the enemies out of His children's life and making sure that nothing ever happens to hurt them on this earth? No. We see God's people suffering at the hands of others. Well, where's the comfort The comfort is in the fact that we're still the chosen. He has anointed our head with oil. Even when the enemies come into our life and even when the enemies hurt us, we still have peace because we're ready to die. In other words, it's the teaching when you go to Matthew the 10th chapter. and Matthew the 10th chapter in verse 28 where Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, when we do need to be afraid, is when we've allowed sin to creep in. When we've allowed Satan to have his way in our life, that's when we need to be afraid. But the idea that someone would laugh at us, I'm, I'm afraid of being laughed at. Does that describe you? That's insecurity. I know who my God is. And I'm not asking you to laugh at me. But listen, you can laugh all you want. I'm not going to be afraid of my enemies. I'm not going to be afraid of anything you can do to the physical body. Now what I will be fearful of is, I'll be fearful of sin. I'll be fearful of anybody that would discourage me from living the Christian life. But I'm not going to fear anybody that all they can do to me is hurt the body, not the soul. Let's close with 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Arm yourself. We know what it is to have a weapon that protects us. And we say, what is this weapon of protection? How, how is it that we can actually know that, hey, we're in the presence of our enemies and the Lord has chosen us. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death and we'll, we'll fear no evil. How is it that we can have this kind of security? He, he kind of brings it all to a head here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 1 when Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered. See, he's the example. Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm, in other words, put a weapon in your life. Arm yourself also with the same mind. What was that? The mind of Christ that was willing to suffer. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh but the, after the lust of men but for the will of God. We arm ourselves, in other words, we protect ourselves from Satan by literally saying, I have a mind that says, I'm willing to suffer. Now, let's do something that may not always be a healthy exercise, but just for a moment, pretend you're Satan. And you go up to a young person at school as Satan, and you're going to try to get them to give in in their Christianity. And so what you do is you get one of their peers to start laughing and mocking them because they're not going to go with you somewhere Sunday night. Instead, they're going to church. Except this young person has armed themselves with a mind that says, I don't mind if I suffer at your expense. I don't mind at all suffering for the cause of Christ. First century Christians... You can throw rocks at me. You can stone me. I don't mind suffering for the cause of Christ. If you're Satan, how do you get the best of somebody that says, I don't mind suffering? How much do we love the Lord? What is our identity? Our identity is, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. And I don't mind suffering because I'm a saved child of God. Where's the comfort? I know who I am. I know where I'm going. And you can't take it away from me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful to think, I have an identity in the Lord. And I know where I'm going. And I don't mind suffering for it. I will suffer. I'm willing to suffer. So for all of us tonight, let's think about this beautiful passage written in light of our Lord being a shepherd and realize that He always takes care of His sheep. And so the question tonight is, am I one of His sheep?